Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age. So parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. Better grades, less stress, and a skill set for life. Now, as parents, that's what we want for our kids, right? For them to not only achieve well, but to do it with joy and confidence. And we want to do our part to set them up for a future success once they're out of the home, right? We don't want them coming back, uh, needing our help for decades to come. So, you know, naturally, I was curious when I saw these nine words prominently displayed on my guest's website. So Kelsey Komorowski has been tackling this challenge for quite some time. She's actually spent over 30,000 hours working with families, first with Ministry of Education here in Ontario, my home province, which is super cool. And now through her company, Como Consulting. Now, she knows that every student can succeed in school as long as they're shown how. And what I've discovered is that she's uncovered five shifts, five things that she's seen successful students and families doing time and time again. Now, parenting is a tough road and it's really hard at times to know what to do. And I can certainly speak from my own experience. I've got three teens of my own and I'm regularly banging my head trying to figure out what to do. So today's um, conversation is going to be as much for me as for everyone else. And the good thing is, Kelsey, as a family coach, she loves to empower parents with the skills and knowledge to help their kids reach that potential and also show them how to establish positive household dynamics around school. Put it another way, reduce the fights, reduce the frustration, right? Create the motivation. And then lastly, she loves to travel. And that's something I'm really into as well, though not as much these days with the pandemics. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today. So Kelsey, let's get started. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jerry. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. That was just a beautifully articulated synopsis of exactly what we do. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Awesome. I love that tagline. It just it really grabbed me. It's so much more about these days, especially about just getting good grades. And you talk a lot about that, right? That it's, that's really a false trap, a false sense of um, success. Absolutely. Yeah. And we find too with grades, it's so dangerous because on the one hand, if we're getting low grades or poor grades, that's kind of an easy sign of, okay, maybe we should look here. But we've also found that students who are getting really high grades, that's actually become one of our biggest red flags. Like students who are getting 90s without any real effort or struggle or anything that always puts up our red flag because there are right ways and wrong ways to get good grades. And so grades, they, they can really just be misleading. And we always want to look at not so much the grade itself, but rather how are our kids getting those grades? That's what really will tell us how they're learning and really where they're at with their learning. That's interesting because, I mean, typically as a parent, if it's doing well in school, then what's to worry about, right? Tell me more about what you mean by kind of the right way or the wrong way. What's the danger perhaps in achieving well in school for the future? Yeah. 
So you know what, Jerry, it might be easier. I'll outline, there's two ways that our kids do school. So I'll kind of outline each. And I think that will give a helpful context for you and for your listeners. And I think also you'll resonate with this. So the first camp is how most of our teenagers do school. They do it by reacting to homework that's been assigned. So it's very much looking at, okay, I've got this for math or this for English or this for chemistry. And then they go through the motions to get the homework done. So it's off their plate. Right. So it's a bit more passive reactive. I have to do the school. Let me get it done. And it's off. Now, the other camp, and this is where we see the best learning outcomes, the most joy with learning, is when students are actively managing their coursework. So they're aware of all of the moving pieces within and between their classes, and they're strategically managing the coursework. And then when they sit down to do the work, they're engaged. It's not just about doing it to get it done, going through the motions. They're actively aware of the skill set that they're using to process and understand and retain and apply information. So it's a much more active and an engaging way of approaching their schoolwork, right? They're actually invested internally as opposed mm-hmm. to viewing it as I've got to get this done because it's school. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, it does in a way. I think for some of us listening out there, might that might seem like, hmm, why is that necessary? Like if I'm getting it, if my child's being successful, why does that matter so much how it gets done? I think it really boils down to what is the metric of success? Like on our end, the metric of success is a student who graduates from high school, goes into college and beyond. Are they able to stand on their two feet with confidence and know that they can handle whatever life is throwing at them, right? Are they critical thinkers? Are they strong communicators? Can they manage their time? Can they get resourceful? Can they self-advocate? There's a lot bound up with them feeling confident to face the world, right? And so what we see with students in camp one who are more doing it, even if they're getting high grades, they're not learning how to learn through their schoolwork. A lot of our kids are naturally bright and they're doing well in school because they're naturally bright, not because they're actually learning the material. So for example, probably half of the families that we've worked with over the years, it's students, families at transition points, either the kid is going into high school or into university and the parents are floored and the kid is upset because it's like, but they've been getting straight A's. Like there's never been anything (laughs) wrong. And it's because they hit that material that's more challenging. They don't have Mm -hmm. the skill set to know how to navigate that more challenging material. So if we have that doing the schoolwork, but without those strategies underpinning the engagement with the work, then it just, it tells us, and we've just seen this over the years, that they might not, likely do not have the skill sets or strategies to deal with work when it gets more challenging. Yes, too. I mean, thinking back to my high school years, like, I did really well in high school. I had grades. And I think a lot of it just had to do with the structure and the format just worked really well for me. But life isn't so neatly packaged up necessarily. You know, like it's a lot more formulaic when you're in school with grades and assignments and so on. It's a little more predictable in some ways. So the danger I see as a parent is, yeah, you might be good at that particular formula. But as you point out, it doesn't make you resilient, doesn't make you adaptable to whatever challenges life throws your way if it comes in a different shape and form. So yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the biggest things we see too, where when we're looking at those subjects, I love what you just said, like those neat little subjects of math or English and the parameters in which you are succeeding in school, they're so delineated by specific content matter. And life's not like that for the most part, the jobs (laughs) our kids are going to do, that's not the reality of it. So to be able to, you know, do well on a math test or write an essay, obviously that's fantastic. We want that, but we want them to be doing it in a way that is tapping into their core skill set, right? So it's not necessarily about each subject and how well they're doing. 
it really is about the degree to which they are applying their skill set to manage and engage in that work. That's where we see the most confident kids come out of school ready to stand on their own two feet, feeling good about what they have at their disposal to succeed on their own terms. Hmm. I'm really, really intrigued to dive into this a bit more, because partly because I have a bit of, of my own personal bias, but I mean, everyone has their own experiences. But I think for a lot of us, we find like the traditional school model is kind of getting outdated. And so like in a lot of ways, the school model itself is kind of making it harder for students to have the kinds of skills that you're talking about. Before we go into that, I'd just love to step back for a moment and hear more about like, how did you get down this path? What got you so excited about helping students, teenagers um, thrive in school and beyond? Totally. And it's funny, actually, because what you just shared, the two go hand in hand. So I, out of grad school, I, my first job was with the Ministry of Education. I was with the Student Achievement Division. And I was so excited. It was my first formal introduction into pedagogy and looking at my job was to collect and analyze data on student success initiatives and looking at what works, what doesn't, how can we bridge achievement gaps in our schools? So we worked with, you know, 72 school boards across Ontario, institutional level to district to like looking what's trickling down in the classroom. And to be perfectly frank, what triggered this direction was frustration and just really seeing, like I worked with so many incredible people, passionate people who genuinely care and are doing everything to improve our public education system. But at the same time, the bureaucracy and the red tape of deploying initiatives, assessing how well they work and then redeploying, it would take months or years. And to me, at least, you know, I'd always tutored. That was always what I'd done throughout, you know, high school, undergrad, all the way through grad school. That was my thing. And I really started to miss seeing that immediate impact. So I kind of just grew disenchanted with the red tape of it. And I thought, well, I'll go, I'll start tutoring again because I love it. It's rewarding. It makes my heart happy to be able to see transformations in families. And when I started that back up again, while I was still with the ministry, within basically a month, I had a wait list. And it was abundantly apparent to me that the way, you know, I'm tutoring and I've always tutored like this, but it's not traditional tutoring. Traditional tutoring is generally transactional. It's more subject specific. Whereas I'd always taken this more skills-based approach of empowering learners. So if a kid is telling me, you know, I don't understand the difference between a motif and, you know, a symbol, explain it to me. And it's like, that's a great question. How can we figure it out? Mm. And so just after a few weeks, I started, I was just working nights and weekends all the time. And it got to a point where I was like, I don't know exactly where this is going, but it feels really good. And it was incredible, again, just to have that immediate impact. I left the government, much to everyone, <laughs> everyone I knew. Uh, what are My you parents doing? were horrified. How dare you leave a stable paying <laughs> job to go right. do this thing? What about your retirement? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it felt right. And that was, I mean, that was so many years ago. And since then, what led me down this path, the original core question, what is at the root of student stress and struggle? Why do students struggle with school? And over the years, I've worked very closely with incredible, brilliant educators, policymakers, professors, PhDs, principals, you name it, all sorts of different stakeholders and student success. And what we found is that it boils down to a skill set. So we look at, there's a lot of external symptoms or possible causes for stress and struggle. We look at, I'm just not good at math, or I'm just not a good writer, or the teachers don't like me, or I have a bad teacher, or learning differences are a big one. ADHD, maybe you're on the autism spectrum. And what we found is all of those things are valid, 100%. But at the end of the day, regardless of learner profile or curricula, if a student does not know how to manage and engage in their work, they will never be as successful as they could be. And that's what, you know, to your earlier point about the flaw with our school system. And even in Ontario, Jerry, as you know, we're pretty lucky. We have one of the better public school systems in the world. 
right? Like we're consistently ranked at the top in Boise. But even then, and this is, I guess, why at the crux of why we do what we do, everyone wants our teens to do well with school, to get the high grades, to be learning, you know, and building out their core skill sets along the way to feel good, to like learning. But fundamentally, in most traditional school systems, we don't show them how to do those things, right? So most, and I'll, sorry, I'll stop there because I can, I tend to go off on tangents. I get really excited about these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely nibbling to your passion. Well, and it's interesting too, just to hear, you've had a lot of that experience on the academic side, right? And trying to put together policies and whatnot, and we're working with a lot of different thinkers and, and trying to find that way. So yeah, so many places I could go with this too. Like, so what a lot of things you were talking about there, to me also sound a lot like mindset challenges, right? Like, the teacher doesn't like me or I'm not good at this. It's not just the skills to do the things, but it's having the right belief and mindset. I mean, I know as an entrepreneur and, and you're being an entrepreneur as well, like so much of what gets in our way is between our two years. That's the biggest challenge. And so I think that's what I'm passionate about, particularly for my kids and, and other kids as well, is to help them to cultivate that mindset early, right? That they can address any issue. They can conquer anything that they want, right? They can find a way and a problem is just an opportunity waiting to be solved. And so many of our kids get stuck in this false belief that they're not good enough. So what do we do about that? How do you, how do you, how do you address that as a parent? I want the answer. Uh, yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's so true. You know, and what you just said, you could take that audio clip and just blare it from the rooftops because so many kids, to your point, they, that self-talk of, well, I'm just not good at something or school's just not for me or whatever it is. Like most teens, and even, I don't know about you, Jerry, but for me, I didn't even realize this until I was well into my twenties that you get to pick your beliefs and that you can create your self-talk, right? As opposed to just looking at something the way it is, which is for most of our teens, at least most of the ones that I talk to, a lot of the teens I talk to, they come and they are in pain. Like they feel stupid. They have been struggling for a long time. What's wrong with them? Their peers are doing okay. There's so much often shame and self-doubt and just internal criticism going on. And when a student is in that frame of mind, it does not matter. You can give them the most perfect strategies. You can show them how to manage their time and how to structure the perfect essay. You can give them the tools, but if they're not, if they don't believe that they can use them or if they don't believe that they're worthy of using them, it's not going to matter. So I think the mindset piece is really key for kids to understand that just because they're stuck right now, regardless of how they feel right now, that it doesn't have to be that way. They have basically unlimited creative power to shape how they move through their educational journey and life in general, of course, but within the context of school and learning, that it doesn't have to suck. And that's the word I hear the most from a lot of our (laughs) kids where it's like, yeah, school sucks, whatever. Well, yeah, that's a whole other topic too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But to the mindset piece, it's everything. And I don't know about you, Jerry, but I've not, in my experience, at least I've never been able to help a student who does not want to help themselves. Yeah. I talk a lot about entry points. Like students don't have to be enthusiastic about cultivating a growth mindset or about learning these tools and strategies to have a better experience, but they do have to have that opening for creating positive change for themselves. And that alone to help them believe in themselves and to really reach them at a place that is meaningful to them. It's not Mm -hmm. going in rah, 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 you can do it. A lot of kids, their experiences don't align with that. Yeah. And so that kind of speaks to your, so you say your difference between say traditional tutoring, which is just trying to get the right answer for the math test 
versus developing that mindset to be able to tackle these problems. So how do you go about, so, you know, if you've got a, a new family that you're working with and you're seeing some of these mindset issues showing up, probably almost every time, I imagine, what are some things that you do or what are some things that parents can do in support as well to try to nurture that positive mindset? That's a great question. I'm like, how can I speak to this as concisely as possible? So <laughs> I, I think I'll highlight, I'll highlight a couple of things to start. First and foremost, and you mentioned this in the intro, I believe we do have a family model. Like we've seen over the years working solely with students for service delivery versus working directly with parents also and having parental coaching as well as working with our students. The latter has a much greater impact. So the first thing we want to make sure with our parents is that they understand that, you know, their beliefs around learning and achievement, their beliefs around what are possible are just as critical as what the kids believe, because those household dynamics really do shape student learning and achievement. So just for example, if we have, and this has happened a lot of times with incredible parents that we've ended up working with and seeing wonderful change. I've had so many parents say to me, well, Kelsey, he just can't focus. He just can't focus. And again, that's valid. Of course that is. But also... What do you think happens then when I'm working with the kid? Well, I can't focus, Kelsey. I have ADD. I can't, I can't focus. Yeah. He's getting that, that drilled into his subconscious. Yeah. Absolutely. And then that becomes yeah. what we believe shapes our reality. So for that student, they can't focus. There's no, as long as they believe that they're not going to be able to, right. And we've seen this over the years. So what we want them to understand is first of all, like for this example, that's a skill set. Right. Of course, there's going to be other challenges if there are learning differences or other things in place, but we can build out our ability to focus. Right. So we really just want to make sure that, you know, parents are aware of what they're saying and often with the best of intentions, because parents are amazing and they want to help their kids. They want to help their kids feel smart and feel good and do their best. So they'll come in and try to fix the problem. But the number one thing that we advise with parents, and this is probably 85 percent of the coaching I do, is in helping parents step back because our Mm. kids cannot learn if we literally do not give them the space and the time to do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that really hits home. I think so much of being a parent is actually uh, stepping back and recognizing that we have our own baggage too, right? We bring a lot to the situation that isn't helpful and we've honestly got our own stuff to work on too, which is a whole other podcast I'm sure we could do. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I really like what you're saying about creating the right space, the right conditions, right? For kids to believe in themselves. There's a lot that parents can do that that doesn't have to be directly about the academic sides, but can still be hugely helpful. What are some of the other, I mentioned it from your webinar, you talked about the, you know, those five key things you've seen all uh, families and students who are thriving and being successful and have in place. I'd, I'd love to go through those with you. Totally. Yeah. Well, our first one we've touched on a little bit, but it, it directly goes into what we're talking about. And that's our very first step is taking ownership. A lot of our families and especially our kids assume that being taught to in class equates to learning. And the funny thing, and not at all funny, actually, <laughs> the, the thing with since COVID hit that we're seeing a lot of the families that we've been talking to since last March, they're finally seeing because their kids are at home, they're seeing what we've known for years. Like our niche is pretty specific, right? It's bridging that gap between classroom teaching and at-home learning to a large extent. And without a teacher in front of them, so many of our students, they, they don't really know how to self-direct and how to self-motivate, mm-hmm. how to progress from this is hard, I don't know, to, oh, I get it. So that very first piece of helping kids understand that they are capable and that they have incredible agency and control 
over help their learning. They can't control what they're learning necessarily, much to their chagrin, right? A lot of kids will be like, I don't want to do math. I don't want to do this. But to take ownership over just because if we don't have the best teacher or a teacher or the educational environment, there's a lot of external variables, right? That can shape a student's perception of what they're able to achieve. And we really want to flip it and help them understand when we talk about taking ownership, it's an understanding internally, what do they have control over? They have control over what they believe, right? I am a capable learner. I am resourceful. I can ask questions. Talking to teachers is a good thing. A lot of our kids, they will refuse to initiate communication with teachers. Like they would rather not go to school than than initiate like an email to a teacher. So that taking ownership piece for kids and parents is really the starting place. Because if we're not taking ownership and if we're not, you know, if we're hinging our ability to succeed on external factors, it's not going to go very well. Mm, Yeah, understood. 100%. Okay, so... Let's say, so, you know, our student now is starting to recognize what they have control over and what they don't. They're starting to see that they have some choice in the matter of how things go about. What else is really important? So once they can take ownership, this really sets the stage and the context in which they can start tapping into their learning skills. And this goes back to what we talked about a bit before, where it's not so much about getting the work done and just doing it to get it off the plate, where it's, it tends to be a bit more of a mindless, okay, I've got this worksheet, I'm getting it done. Or I have an essay, I'll sit down and start writing it. Or if, again, I don't know about your kids, a lot of our kids, they sit down to start writing an essay and they're paralyzed. They're like, I don't know where to start, right? To mm-hmm. move into what are the thought processes for actually learning from the material as opposed to just getting assignments done. So we really talk about that engagement piece and tapping in to kids' learning skills. And I'll just I'll give an example, one of our foundational strategies, and it's very simple. Like any student, we have students as young as grade six and students as old as, you know, third, fourth year university using this. Like we always tell our kids, you never want to sit down and just start doing homework. It's the worst way to do school. Don't ever do it. We sit down and as a part of that strategizing, a part of tapping into our critical thinking and to our learning skills, we want to look at overall, what do we have going on with our different classes? What's on our calendar? Have we chunked things down? Are we on top of what we had to do yesterday or the week before? Like there's this whole engagement that happens when we focus on the learning piece and the management piece, as opposed to just the, did I get it done piece? Does that make sense? Yeah, actually, I was just thinking, wow, I mean, if your students are learning this, they could probably teach their parents a few things or two about <laughs> how to organize their lives too. Like so many adults who don't have it together that well when it comes to managing I love so much that you just said. That's actually something, this is one of my favorite things that happened. It was very inadvertent when we initially did our parent pilot and we invited parents to participate a few years ago and we started this formal parent coaching part of our program. And that was one of the things that delighted me the very most. Parents were coming <laughs> on calls being like, so my, I watched the calendar training and my kid just taught me how to optimize my own calendar. And like, they're talking about their <laughs> own growth as skill builders. And that's what I think is so fantastic, though, as far as modeling, like it really is a family affair, right? Like for parents to model out and be reflective about their skill sets. And Jerry, I think this Mm. is the other thing. It goes back to mindset. It's also bound up with taking ownership and learning skills. It kind of features in with everything we're going to talk about. It's that parents understand that they can model things out for their kids. They don't have to be perfect for their kids. Like a lot of the, and I'll be honest, it's a lot of the moms I talk to, but they're like, they really want to look like they've got it together and they can do, you know, everything. It's like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of vulnerability that comes with learning. It's one of the greatest barriers we see, especially with a lot of our teen boys. Mm -hmm. They don't want to admit that they don't know things, right? Like it can be a feeling of shame or stigma or whatnot, but for them to understand, like 
learning starts with acknowledging your limits, right? There's an intellectual humility required to learn and to lean into it and to enjoy it as opposed to shying away from it. And when parents are building these similar skill sets and having these types of reflections, it can be a really fun way as far as like that collaborative family skill building. Yeah, I think that's great. I think also empowering in some ways for the student to be sharing something, right, that they can be helping their parents with as well. So that's awesome. Totally. Kind of curious too, you mean you talk a little bit on your website and the webinar too about, I mean, like, let's be frank. I mean, not everything in school is exciting to learn about, right? And, and not everything. There's <laughs> you plenty say. that you. you <laughs> newsflash. Some things in school are, are utterly boring, but you have to do it anyway. So, how do you help students deal with those kinds of challenges, right? Because, I mean, yeah, let's just let's leave it there. Yeah. So, that's actually when we first start out with most of our families, that's one of the biggest challenges where it's like, I either hate this or I'm never going to use it, is the thing that we hear a lot. I'm never going to have to use right. this. What's the point? Right? It's Which is a f- actually a fair point in a lot of times, right? It's totally fair. <laughs> and this is one of the things I tell because the parents will be like, I've told them they've just got to get through it and these things. And it's like, that's all well and good. But we also, we don't want to BS with our teens. Like they can smell that day. We need to be honest with them and meet them on their own terms. So the way we position it to them at first, at least for just like to kind of help them wrap their head around it conceptually. And some of our, we work really closely with a lot of teachers. We have teachers on the team and they don't love it when I say this, but they know it's true. It really doesn't matter what you're being taught. That is so inconsequential to how you're learning. Mm -hmm. So in order to actually benefit from a topic or a class or an assignment that they see no value in the content, you tell them that's okay. Yeah, you might never use that math formula. You might never, maybe you want to go into engineering and you're having to learn about Shakespeare and you just know you're not going to use it. Doesn't matter. We want to, again, flip that. What can we control? And that perspective of, well, what can I get out of it? right? Like when we do school, right, every assignment in every class and every grade is just an opportunity to practice and to explore what kind of thinker and communicator and time manager and creator, all of these way more interesting identity pieces than just student. So if our kids are doing something they don't like, we want to help them shift away from that space of, I hate what I'm learning into Mm. how can I enjoy how I'm learning? What kind of skill might I want to build? Yeah, what came to mind as you were talking was kind of this this notion of like, say, learning karate, right? And just putting in the practice, putting in the reps and honing the skills over time. A lot of it's repetitive and not necessarily that interesting at the time. But you know, with continued practice that you become that the master. Well, and Jerry, you've just more or less described like the essence of skill building. When we talk about skill building, that's it. Like it's the deliberate application of specific skills in different contexts. So when we approach school through this model of skills, when we're building out critical thinking, what does that look like if we are preparing for an English test versus completing a chemistry worksheet? Like that's what's really building out our kids' internal frame of reference and our own, right? For what does this look like in practice? And in fact, to your question too, I'll give a bit more of a practical thing here that might help. It's helped a lot of the parents that we've worked with, where especially sure, for kids who are more entrenched in this mindset of, <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of kids are just like, school isn't for me, or this is hard, or I hate it, or whatever. And we always ask about, you know, what's an activity that the kids like to do? And Jerry, maybe even we can take one of your teens as an example, if you're open to sharing an activity that they like to do outside of school. Sure. Well, I mean, my daughter, Malia, she's, well... 
Madam Lee is into violin. My other son, he's anything sports related. And uh, my other son, he's a super tech guy. So sports are perfect. What? Give me an example of a sport that he likes. Oh, he's all about basketball right now. Go Raptors. Yeah. Go Raptors. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So if I were speaking with your son, who's really into basketball, you know, I'd ask, for example, how long have you been playing basketball? Right. How long has he been playing for? I'd say about three years. Okay. So I don't play basketball. I know I don't watch basketball. I know nothing about basketball. And if I had to go play basketball this afternoon, how do you think I would do playing on a team? I think you'd um, hopefully not twist your ankle, but <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd, it'd be a pretty uh, unpleasant experience. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be terrible. For everybody. Like, yeah, for, for everybody. For you and the, and the team. Like, who is she? Yeah, Why is she here? get out of here. I'd probably cry. It would be bad. And the reason I love to draw these parallels is because basketball is an activity. Violin is an activity. School fundamentally, is an activity like any others. There are certain rules of engagement. If you know the techniques and the strategies for engaging in school, you're going to do pretty well and it's going to be enjoyable, as enjoyable as it can be. If you don't know the techniques, if you don't know how to quote unquote play, it's going to be real hard and it's going to be more stressful and it's going to feel like you're not good at it simply because you've never learned how to do it properly. Well, and I think too, what we spoke to and another question about it is if you shift your focus away from the content more onto the learning process, right? And the skills that you're developing, then as you said, then the content becomes less and less relevant. So even all of a sudden, grade 10 French, plus my grade 10 French teacher, right? Might actually be feeling a little more interesting and worthwhile, which it certainly didn't at the time. Totally. But I guess what I'm curious about then, so if the shift is on that, and then we're trying to, do you actually like try to measure these in some way to show like the progression in these types of skills? Like, how do we know that we're getting better at the skills that are important? Like, more importantly, how does the family and the student kind of measure and, and track that? Totally. That's a great question. So on our end, we kind of keep tabs on three key metrics, right? So we do look at achievement, of course, right? We do look at grades. Now, depending on the learner, like we've said, if a student is getting 95s and everything, but they don't know what executive functioning is, they don't have a calendar, they don't plan stuff out, that tells us something very different than if a student is getting in the 60s but has started to kind of implement these things. So we do look at achievement data, so grades. We look at self-reported levels of self-efficacy, first and foremost, from our kids. How confident are they feeling? What are they sharing as far as their abilities, right, to actually engage and manage. Those are also like our two things. You've heard me say this, management and engagement. Those are really like the pillars of student success from what we found. But then importantly, the third piece is what we observe. So for our program, obviously, it's us as educators and we do work closely with parents. For a family, we want to pay attention between what our kids are reporting and what we're observing. So for example, a lot of our kids on our calls They'll say, oh, yeah, I totally deconstructed my guidelines. I did it perfectly. That's one of our, that's step one. Where if our kids get an assignment, it's guideline deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And they're really confident with it. And it's like, that's so fantastic, right? Show me. And they'll show right. us. They don't know what they don't know what they're doing. They're not <laughs> clear on it yet, right? They don't know. Uh-huh. They don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And in that case, it's so important to capture that, to document like we're having this confidence. And we see this a lot with studying. I'm sure you've seen this like, kids going in being like, I studied so hard, I knew everything, and then it just doesn't translate. So a big part of skill building and of measuring really realistically and sustainably where are the changes happening, we want to get clear on what are our kids saying and sharing versus what are we observing, right? What are they demonstrating in practice? So we look at those three, and then going back to what we initially started with grades, we find that when you look at those other two, what are they saying? What are the processes they're using? What are the specific strategies 
that they are applying to manage and engage in their work, when they start to do that right, the grades go up, right? When we focus on the skill set and how we're applying the skill set, understanding of the content matter follows quite naturally. And importantly, back to the mindset piece, because a lot of our kids, they just often don't feel smart or they don't feel like they're getting anything out of it. But when the focus is on them and how they're thinking and learning, as opposed to I have to learn Shakespeare, they become a lot more engaged quite naturally. And this is another, I'm assuming that your audience struggles with this, but a lot of our families really battle procrastination and just like lack of motivation, especially since COVID hit. So giving students that internal incentive and that internal, oh, oh, I feel more confident. We can talk until we're blue in the face, but for our teenagers to feel and to connect with, oh, I use this strategy and the work took me half as long and I got a way better grade. That's where the magic happens. Right. Yeah. Cool. And now they get more time to play basketball. If they want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or learn to play basketball. Cool. So I guess one of the things I'm wondering about too, actually, let me back up. I'm losing my train of thought here. So, so they're learning their skill sets. And when you work with families, how long does this process typically take, do you find, where you start to see these shifts? And not only, I mean, obviously there's going to be benefits when you're working with them there, but how do you make sure that it sticks in the sense, right? That it's sustainable. Because my background, I've been a coach and consultant for over a, well over a decade. You know, I've been in a lot of different corporate environments and worked with a lot of one-on-one people. And it's one thing to go in and provide value. It's another for to leave and know that this is going to continue to grow and be healthy and sustain itself. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So to answer the first piece, our program now is 10 weeks and we find that most students are set up in eight weeks or less with the system and the strategies and the tools to really do and feel their best. Over the years, we've tested different lengths. Like we've had, we used to have a retainership model back in the day when we were still quite deep into the research where it was, you know, four months at a time. And we found that when you dive in and you start to build momentum pretty quick. So for us, like our first couple of weeks are designed so that our kids have quick wins, right? And key to the sustainability part is the student buy-in part, right? If a student's not buying in, if a student is showing up because mom or dad want them to, I can about promise you there's not going to be sustainability. And this is something that's so key that we tell our families all of the time when their kids are coming to work with us, the whole goal, and it's a process, right? It does take time for our kids to wrap their heads around this, but they're not showing up for us. They're showing up for themselves, right? They're investing time and energy into themselves to learn how to learn. And the ROI on that is immense for them, right? They get way more free time. They have higher grades. Their parents are happier. So there's less fighting. There's less tension around school. They feel smart. We've had some students, even just recently, a couple of weeks ago, One girl was not good at school, wasn't going to go to college, like wasn't on the radar. And after, you know, two months or so, she's applying to colleges. She's like, I I know now that I can do school. And that's a perfect example of that buy-in of I want to feel better first and foremost. So there's that openness to learning how to learn and to trying new strategies. And then once they start to feel right internally what good that does, it's human nature. We gravitate towards things that feel good. So that really does help with that sustainability part. The flip side to that, of course, if a student after the 10 weeks or after six months, and we've seen this too, or even after a year, we'll we'll reconnect with the family and it's like they've fallen off the wagon, right? Which happens, totally happens. And the big Mm -hmm, key, and this goes back to the ownership piece, is that they can go back anytime 
they can re-anchor in that framework to start to feel and do their best with school. And this is probably one of the most frustrating pieces of learning and of building a new baseline, right? Of like sustainability where there's no slipbacks. It's fully in our kids' control, right? We can try to create the circumstances and give parameters and give the tools. But at the end of the day, we want our kids to know that they really can have whatever they want for themselves. Because if they're not going to put in that work, if they're not feeling that buy-in to invest at any point, nothing else will happen from that. Yeah, so true. Uh, and it's great that the work that you do tries to, that really brings that out in them, right? That creating that that self belief. But to me, that's worth all the money right there, right? It's just to have that. And to me, like the skills and the framework and whatnot. With lots of places you can learn these types of things, but to have it all put together and, and to have that underlying belief, I mean, that's worth its weight in gold right there. Yeah. yeah, Jerry, thanks for that. And it's one of those things with school, and I think this every time, like every single week, every single day, really. School is just the perfect place to learn these skills that in rhetorically they're meant to be learning anyway. But as we know, most of our kids don't really graduate as understanding and having language to speak to executive functioning and metacognition and the mindsets that will enable them to stand up. So when we can kind of just parse it out very simply and look at each assignment as this incredible skill building opportunity, it really does create a very different educational experience for our kids. And it's something, well, my mission. I'm like, every teenager should have this, right? <laughs> every parent should see their kids enjoying their education. I love that you said that because the question that's been floating in my mind as you were talking is, yeah, like what would be your your ideal vision or how can we make this more available to, I'm sure you've thought this many times, right? I see like the future of education being more individualized, right? Being more about the individual versus more of a kind of a mass produced type model where individuals can thrive their own pace and just have their own, just work on, on their own unique abilities and mindset. So all this incredible work that you're doing right now, if you could like wave a magic wand during COVID time here, right? And I mean, so much that we took for granted as just being the way is now obviously under question being rethought and having to be what would you do if you had a magic wand, maybe for the <laughs> Minister of Education, right? What would you like to see happen? What to make things better. Yeah, I love that question. I'm picturing holding a magic wand. And, and you're right, I've thought about this so much. There's a few pieces, I think. Like number one, overall the vision. And I think we're on the same page with this. Like when I see a single student connect with their unique strengths and values and passions, when they start to understand who they are outside of parental or teacher or societal expectations, when they truly connect with their best self, it brings me to tears almost every time. It's magic. And the vision, imagine if every teenager had that. Like, I truly believe that is the way to a healthier, wealthier, more compassionate society is to enable each student, each child, each teenager to connect with their best selves, right, on their own terms. And with respect to how do we do that? How do we spread this then? I mean, on our end with, and especially with traditional schooling, like acknowledging I'm sorry, actually, you know what? I have a magic wand. I'm not going to acknowledge the reality of it. What I would want okay. is to introduce systematic explicit skill building into the curriculum so that we're measuring our core skills. So for us, our core five, our critical thinking, communication, time management, executive functioning, metacognition, we found that learning and student success overall, it's going to use one or generally, you know, a mix of those five and to embed that in a systematic way so that kids build the vocabulary and understand what these skill sets look like, again, in practice within and between their classes from like grade six onwards. 
that's a starting place is just embedding it directly into the curriculum. And then as far as on our end, you know, (laughs) especially since COVID hit, it's actually the silver lining for us, at least has been more and more people unprecedented. Obviously, you know, millions of people are seeing, again, what we've known to be true for so long, where it's like there is fundamentally a skills deficit for most of our students, regardless of what their grades are or their attitudes. Like most grade 12s I talk to, they don't know what metacognition is. They don't know how to reflect. And I'm not saying that they can't do well without those things. I'm saying that they're not doing as well as they could without those things, right? Like to really tap into their potential. So on our end, and this is, I mean, this is really exciting. We've had really great success since COVID hit with getting recognized. You know, we're, for example, on the Registry of Autism Service Providers. We're recognized by the Ministry of Education. We've been recognized as a credit, like granted by private high schools, which is amazing towards like a student's transcript. So we're really trying to bring what we've been doing mainstream so far, having pretty good success, especially in light of understanding for me, I'm like, I'm not even going to touch governments because I worked in government. I know how hard it can Mm -hmm. be to be recognized as a vendor. But I think it's so important. And especially even from a funding standpoint, a lot of families, they can't access top tier services, right? And there's a lot of inequity between and with respect to what families can actually procure as far as academic support and learning services. So to have subsidies and funding in place for that so that any family who wants skill building support, who wants this type of family learning model where kids are learning to stand on their own two feet, mom and dad are standing back, everyone's feeling happy, that should be the norm. This should not be something that is rare. And pretty much like I think for me, at least like a benchmark of success will be when I stop hearing nine times out of 10 from a parent. Why didn't I hear about you before? Where were you two years ago? Why am I Mm. just learning that this exists? Yeah. Well, and you've just spoken to really why I launched this podcast and why I'm so excited you're here. So when I was looking for some solutions for my kids last summer, as we were going through some family transitions, I was amazed at how hard it was to find things. And I realized, but then I started to find amazing possibilities that were just kind of like lurking under the surface, under a rock here and there, right, <laughs> on the internet. And I realized, you know, this needs to get easier for parents because there is a lot of amazing supports and solutions out there, both inside and outside of traditional schooling. And yeah, so I'm just excited to be part of it, excited for what you're doing here in my home province, but serving the greater world in everything you're doing. And I'm excited for, um, yeah, that vision where every teen can have this skill set and ultimately, right, just become alive in themselves and through that, be motivated and equipped to make a real difference in the world. So. 100%. Yeah, you've just so beautifully captured that transformative power of education, which I think is why we're in this space. Like there's very little else in the world that truly does have the power to transform an individual, a family, a community, and at the end of the day, the world. Yeah. Awesome. So Kelsey, where could parents who love to get some more information and perhaps some help for them and their kids? Yes. So check out comoconsulting.com. It's K-O-M-O consulting.com. We've got lots of case studies. We've got parent and student interviews on there sharing their stories that I know a lot of you will resonate with or that will resonate with a lot of you. And then we do also offer, we have a handful of calls available each week. They're free. We do like a learning and achievement audit with you and your child. We get really clear on what are the core challenges how can we bridge them? What does that look like? And you can go to comoconsulting.com backslash get started now to book a learning and achievement audit with my team. It's one of the highlights of our weeks to get to talk with families who are excited about getting out of stress and struggle and into something more joyful. Fantastic. Yeah. And we'll have links to those in the show notes as well for those who are listening. So 
Again, thanks so much for being on the show today, Kelsey. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Jerry. Likewise. Thanks so much.